Test, 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 test a mic, test a mic, testimony, test a mic, testimony. Oh, hey, okay, fine, whatever. I didn't need it anyways. Uh, good morning, abiding place. It is so good to come back, to be back, to come back, to be back in front of y'all. Y'all, I'm turning that way. I'm going that way. People say I need to be more polite, so I'm just going to start talking in a fake southern accent, and then people think that'll make me more polite. Maybe can be as blunt, but with an accent, and people will take it. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, let's see. Um, let's just pray again, because who, who gets enough of prayer? So, Father, I just thank you so much that um, you've spoken to me. I, I just thank you that that you're always faithful to share a word that is for the edification and building up of in the encouragement of the body and i just pray that the words that i feel you've given me i just pray that they're an encouragement in this season and moving forward and, and like always father i pray that the words that are mine they just fall to the ground but the words that are yours that they penetrate to our very heart they get planted in our soil and they grow whether we want it to or not in jesus name amen um, I am actually excited about bringing this this word to you guys this morning. I, I would really actually encourage you guys to listen to this message, but also go back last week and listen to Charlie's message, and then also go back two weeks ago and listen to Joel's message, because I think unintentionally um, there's been a theme, and, and we're all, I think we're all hitting facets of, of, a, of a topic and a theme, and, and it, I think it's a really good refresher to go back and listen to those or watch those messages because they're available on our website the video as well um, so today i actually just want to go back to some basics i want to talk about sanctification uh, it's something that the lord has been talking to me about a lot in the last couple weeks um, and kind of maybe some some ways we're taught i was Alyssa and i were talking about the christmas story last couple of days and because we have it's christmas time so we Alyssa has themed books so every season a new crop of books shows up in our book uh, basket for our kids to grab to read before they go to sleep and so it's christmas and so we have the christmas uh, collection of books and i think basically every one of them is some version of the christmas story some long some short some rhyming some not some really lovely illustrations some really not lovely illustrations um, and so, you know, just about every night, one of our kids is grabbing one of these Christmas stories and we're reading it. And I'm, it, you guys all know me, I'm a stinker. So I read the story and I correct the story. Um, of course, because there's the story, but then there's actually what happened. Um, and so I did this when, uh, so for instance, my son knows that um, David didn't kill Goliath with a slingshot. He knows that David took a sword and cut Goliath's head off, because that's how I teach it. I don't tell the story, I tell the truth. <laughs> Man, that sums me up in a, in a nutshell, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> so one of the things with the Christmas story that we tell, we tell this story and we talk about the shepherds and we talk about the three wise men or the three kings, you know, the three magi, whatever, but we talk about that. And, I, and so I tell the story and I go, you know, you know, they didn't come that night. They came a couple years later, right? Because we have this story but then we actually have the Bible. <laughs> and we do this a lot with the Bible. We take the narratives and we take stories out, especially when we're teaching kids or new believers. 
um, we give them a simplified kind of story so they can understand it and so they hear it or sometimes we censor things. So for instance, Goliath is so violent because he takes Goliath's sword and chops off his head with it. So we don't tell the kids that. We go, oh yeah, no, the slingshot took care of it. And typically if you look at the pictures, there was no blood, which is funny because it's a head wound. You know what I'm saying? So uh, <laughs> back to the point. <laughs> Sanctification, I think we all have a story of sanctification, and sometimes um, it doesn't tell the whole picture or it limits our thinking about it. So I want to I reframe sanctification today. And so just a quick kind of refresher of what is sanctification. Well, there's three main things that happen when we get saved. There's actually four, and you can add a fifth in the life, but let's just, let's, let's, let's focus on a couple things. Let's focus on regeneration. So that's the first thing that happens. Regeneration is the fact that um, when, before we're saved, we actually are, we have a nature of sin. So it's actually impossible for us to draw near to God on our own. He actually has to come in and he has to regenerate us. He actually has to start convicting us. And that's when he comes in and he actually breathes life in our spirit and it actually starts awakening, it starts awakening to him. That's something he does, completely separate from us, and it has to happen first. So we have regeneration. And then typically, through a process, some of us make it a big old process, some of us make it a small process, sometimes it takes years, sometimes it's an instant, but we can go from that regeneration to, anybody? Conversion, where we actually do the thing whatever it looked like for you. Some of you guys might have raised your hand in a service, come up to the stage, repeated a prayer. Some of you guys, it might have just been a cry of your heart that God answered because we know it's not a prayer. We know that it's faith. So as long as you had a conversion experience where you turned to God in faith and said, I can't do this without you. And so what happens is we get converted and then this amazing thing happens. We become justified. Justified means you know, we, we d define it as legally, boom, we are made right and righteous before God. Legally, immediately, we're justified. I love it. We talk about court. I also want to change one aspect of when we think about justification. That's when he calls us holy. That's when the blood of Jesus covers us. And it doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter what we'll do. He sees holy and perfect. And it's this court thing where the judge says you are innocent, even if we're guilty, which we are. He says you're innocent. He does something else too in that moment. He writes up adoption papers in the courtroom there too, and we're adopted into the family. So not only are we made perfect from God's perspective, he also signs the adoption paper in that moment, and we become sons and daughters of God. And that's something that we don't always think about happening with justification either. But when we're justified, we're adopted. It's the same thing. And then what happens after that is this beautiful, wonderful thing called sanctification. Sanctification is the process of actually uh, aligning our lives and our actions and our heart and our mind to our justified existence. So we're justified, we're made perfect from a legal standpoint, from God's perspective, we're made perfect. The justification is when God comes in, Holy Spirit comes in, and he starts working on us to actually look like God, to actually be righteous, to act righteous, and to start um, removing the sin patterns in our lives, and to start becoming more righteous and less sinful. We're given a new nature when we're justified, and sanctification is that process of God reminding us, refreshing us, revealing to us our new nature. 
Because we, we can be justified, but we can still sin. But in the new nature, we actually get this ability to not sin. It's pretty amazing. I, I've talked about this a lot of times because I, I think it's, it's awesome what happens because before we were justified, we actually couldn't help but sin. It was just our nature. When we're justified, our old nature is dead and it's buried with Christ. We are resurrected with Christ and we're resurrected with this new nature. And sanctification is just reminding us, hey, you have a new nature. Hey, you, need, you don't need to act like that anymore. And he does that through uh, conviction. He does that through teaching. That's why one of the reasons why we meet together so that we can learn the ways of God. He does that through uh, personal relationship with him. He does that through relationship with our friends and our, um, our leaders and our children and everybody that we come into contact with is an opportunity to learn how to be more righteous. And it's a sanctification. Now, sanctification is a really interesting thing because unlike everything that came before, sanctification can look different on each and every one of us because sanctification is actually a co-laboring process. He doesn't just do it. We don't get just like justification. He does. We have no part in that. We respond to his call and he does the rest. With sanctification, it's actually a co-laboring process where we actually have to partner with God and do the stuff. We actually have to begin, walk, move, change that behavior, listen, submit, which means we can choose not to. And so it's really funny. Sanctification actually is up to us how far we take it, honestly. God will constantly be poking and prodding but we are the ones that actually have to respond to that poking and prodding. Now, some of the things that get messed up about sanctification, I believe, is we sometimes get this idea that we got saved and God gave us a new nature, but he didn't do anything to the old nature. And we think that we have this old nature and we have this new nature and they're constantly fighting each other because it feels like that. And sometimes when it feels like something, we take on what it feels like and we ignore what it actually is happening. A lot of the power the enemy has in our life, a lot of the power sin has in our life is there because we believe lies about it and we give it more power and authority than it should have. And one of those lies is actually um, somehow God comes in and gives us a new nature and we start off at zero. And it's now up to us and it's a constant battle. Do I go back down, or do I go back up, and you know, we, we, oh, I'm, I'm in a bad attitude, why are you in a bad attitude? Well, I just feel like I didn't have a good day, so I feel like my old nature was winning out all day, and I'm, I'm starting at negative five, and now I have to work twice as hard to get even to positive five. I have to, I have to like, you know, do 10 units of holiness to get from negative five to positive five, and so we, we, we think that we start at the bottom, and we have to work our way to the top. That's called religion. The the thing about sanctification is he actually takes us and he actually kills our old nature. Say, kills our old nature. And he gives us a new nature. And so we actually start from victory. We start from victory. We're not pushing that rock up a hill. We start at the top. And you know the best part when we fall? You know what he does? He goes, that's okay, I'll catch you and I'll put you back at the top. So we actually start from victory. So this sanctification process isn't actually this long, hard slog where I'm just dragging this rock up this hill and I hope I can get like close to the top before I die. It's, it's not that way. But we think of it that way because we think that our old nature is constantly battling and it's, it's not. 
What happens is, is you know, uh, I hear people talk about if the old nature died, well, we resurrect it, and that, that happens, but we resurrect it, we can kill it again. We can say just, no, I refuse. I'm actually a new creation in Christ. And I, and I want to ex- express it to you. Romans 6.14 says, Sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law but under grace. That was 6.14. 6.6, if you just go a little bit ahead, let me just go down this, this transition. Romans 6.6 6 says, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so we would no longer be slaves to sin. 6.7, Romans 6.7, For he has died, uh, for he who has died is freed from sin. We've died. We've died in Christ. So when we were buried with Christ and we were resurrected with Christ, our old nature, the sin of the flesh, died and we rose again. We're freed from sin. We aren't slaves to sin. And sin shall not be our master. We, have, we are literally standing. That's not something we earn. That's something that happened. We are standing in victory. And we partner with God. And the, the, the awesome thing about it is, I just had a conversation with a friend of mine and, and they wanted, they, they, were, they got upset because I had said, I gave some constructive criticism and they got upset. Um, and the reason they got upset is I gave this constructive criticism and it hit the shame spot in them. And they were feeling all the shame and they wanted me to rescue them and I didn't. And so there, that led to a kind of a charged interaction because I was supposed to rescue them from their shame. The amazing thing is, in the process of talking through it and being honest about what was going on, I remember, I remember that conversation switching when I, when I had the revelation, oh, you are dealing with shame and you're upset at me because you feel like I'm causing the shame and I need to rescue you from it. And I'm not going to do that. You need to go to God. You need to free yourself from that. I didn't cause it. I can't save you. And the person, like, got that and clicked. Because this amazing thing of we build up sin. We do this. We have a sin problem, I say. And most people, when they say we have a sin problem, they go, because sin is such a big problem. No, our sin problem is we think sin is such a big problem. When I think sin is such a big problem, it is a big problem. When I realize it's not a big problem, it's a completely solvable problem. It's a problem that has been solved for me, and I just have to align my thinking and my mindset that this is not this big problem that is towering over me. It's not a Goliath. I don't actually have to be David in this scenario because it isn't a giant. My sin isn't a giant. My sin is actually this little, little thing down here. And it convinces me that it's this massive thing. It might cast a big shadow, but it's actually this tiny little thing. And if I can uh, um, adjust my mindset to that of God, to have a heavenly perspective on my sin, suddenly those patterns in my life are fixable. Because I can partner with him, I can partner with him and others, and I can actually beat this. And it's not this crazy hulking monster. And I actually start from victory. I don't start from ground zero. I'm not a weakling that has to build my muscles up for years before I can face the bully. I'm already at the top of the mountain. So 
The reason why this is so important is the next level of sanctification. Because that's another part of the story of sanctification. When we're taught this, we're taught it on almost a purely internal level. Sanctification happens inside of me, in my life, between God and I, where he is making me more like Christ so that I look more like Jesus. And we talk about sanctification purely as an internal thing, and there's actually this next level, in my opinion, of sanctification. There's a reason we're being sanctified, and it isn't just so we look like God, and God says, look at the work that I've done in in, in Alyssa. Look at the work that I've done in Charlie. Look at the great work that I've done in Lori. Look at the better work that I've done in Lori than in Charlie. No, (laughs) it's not so God does that. He, he doesn't do that so he can just do it. He does that and he gets excited and he goes, look at my child, look at my son, look at my daughter. He gets excited about that, but there's a reason we're act, he's trying to make us look more like God. There's a reason, and, and if you read Romans chapter 8, it's a great chapter, and let me just say, chapter 6 in Romans, if, if you want like biblical basis, read chapter 6. Chapter 6 of Romans is all about the old man, all about the new nature, all about being uh, 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 being buried with Christ and being resurrected. It's talking all about what justification and sanctification is. So read Romans 6. You can skip 7 if you want, because 7 confuses a lot of people, because he talks about, in, in chapter 6, Paul talks about this new man and this new nature, and how great it is, and how wonderful it is, and then he juxtaposes it with the old way in chapter 7, and it confuses people, and they think that he's actually saying that uh, he, you still have to fight the old nature. And so that's confused a lot of people. In chapter 7, Paul is talking about, this is what it used to be back before chapter 6. Here's how my life was. And sometimes people read it wrong because he wrote it in a weird order. Uh, and so they read that in 7, oh, we still battle. Because in chapter 7 is that very famous Bible verse people use to justify them not being able to deal with things in their life by going, well, even Paul did things he didn't want to do. The things he did, he didn't do. The things he wanted to do, he couldn't. Even Paul had this struggle. No, no, Paul was talking about what his life was before Jesus. And you can tell because chapter 8 has that wonderful beginning. Therefore, in Christ, there is no condemnation. He goes, this is what it is in chapter 6. Here's what's happening. Here's what accepting Christ in in, in your life does. And he says in chapter 7, here's what it was before, but thankfully, therefore, in Christ there is no condemnation because he's rescued us from that. So you can read those three chapters in one go. It's really good. Chapter 8, we're going to start at verse 14. I really think really clearly um, explains why he's doing this. So chapter 8, starting verse 14, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons and daughters of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs. Also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. And then, just jumping to 19, for the eagerly awaiting for the, for the eagerly awaiting creation waits for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. For creation was subjected to futil, uh, futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into freedom, into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. The reason we're being sanctified, the reason God is turning us into little Christs, Christians, if you will, is because creation is awaiting us. That we aren't just being sanctified so that we feel good about ourselves and that God has to do less washing when we get to heaven. We are actually getting sanctified so that we enter this this world, this world that is crying out for us, and that we help free it from its corruption. So when we gather and we sing songs to God and we pray and we listen to a message and we feel the warm fuzzies and we go away and our world outside the walls isn't being changed isn't being affected, isn't being transformed, I feel like we're getting half of it. We're getting half of it. Because the other half is the inner change that I have in my life is supposed to start being reflected in the world out there, in the systems and in the people out there. And the fruit of that is I should see more people joining the family of God. The fruit of it is I should see the areas in my life, my workplace, my family, uh, my neighborhood should start looking more holy, should start looking more righteous and start showing more love. This might sound arrogant if it was about me, but it's not. It's about my wife. We, we bought our house three years ago, and um, the first day we owned it, it got broken into. The first night we lived there, there was a shooting. Uh, there's been multiple shootings around our, our neighborhood. We, we, we love our house. We actually have a really great stretch of neighborhood, but it's around a, a little bit of a rougher part of town right now. Now, we know that's changing for various reasons. Um, one is we're praying. Two, I also have looked at some of the plans the city wants to do in the area, but we've also, we're praying, and we are trying to be a godly influence in our neighborhood. We've had, we had, we have four strip clubs around when we moved. We had four strip clubs around our our, our, our neighborhood. Uh, two of them have closed since we moved in. Um, I'm praying for the other two. My wife, oh, I forget what happened. Something happened in um, a neighbor, or what, what, what was it? There was an outpouring of generosity from our neighbors. Um, there has been. This year has been this year. I mean, 2020 is a dumpster fire. We can all agree to that. And, but just also for us personally, we had a child, which wasn't a dumpster fire. That's been amazing. Um, but we also, we had a leak in our, we had a, we had a leak in our kitchen. So our kitchen was completely uh, redone and our floors were redone. And we were several weeks in two stretches, several weeks outside of our home and then back in our home, but without running water. And we've, we've just, we've had a lot of things going on. We, we had a COVID, um, a COVID, uh, scare we were exposed so we, we were in quarantine for a while and there's there was this outpouring of love from our neighbors just of support and wanting to help and i mean in one day uh we had so we had every neighbor that we know offered to go buy groceries uh for us we, we had people dropping stuff off at our house just even to uh this week my wife was super touched because uh, some neighbors uh down the street um gave us just text her and said, hey, we have some wreath-making stuff. Would you like it? Would you make a wreath? Um, and normally they sell this, but they're just giving it. And I remember looking at my wife and going, that's, 
that's the fruit of what you're doing in the neighborhood. Because my wife is, goes on walks and says hi to people, and our kids go hi, and they're polite. You know, if someone comes up to the door, they knock on the window and wave. And there's just this, this friendship and this network that my wife has done. I'm giving my wife credit because I don't do anything. I say hi, and I talk to the husbands, and the women are the ones who are just creating this, this network of support, and, and, and we buy each other things, and, oh, do you, I'm going to the store, do you need something, right? It, but it's because we came here and we said, we are going to make this neighborhood a neighborhood of love, a neighborhood that supports each other, and our actions and our prayers, and especially my wife, I'm bragging on my wife right now, has been making that real because if there's something different about us, if being a Christian means anything, we need to see it reflected in our world outside of our Christian world. We can't just huddle together and, and go, well, we'll just do it here. We'll just be righteous here. We'll just be loving here. We can't do that. We're a city on a hill. And you can't put that under a basket. It's, a, it's wasted. If we're called to be a light, you can't hide it. And so it's been such a blessing seeing that happen um, and really watching my wife grow. And that's what I'm talking about when I say the world is, is hungering. It wants the sons of God, the sons and daughters of God revealed because when we are revealed, we are loving, we are compassionate, we're moved. It's, it, when Jesus was on earth walking on this planet, almost everything he did was a reaction of compassion and of love, and people got healed, and everyone that had a need got met because he was moved with compassion, and he had the tools and the power and the resource to touch that need, and so we need to do that, and so to start moving beyond just having a focus of internal sanctification, to actually look and go, what does it mean to pursue internal sanctification, but external sanctification as well? What does that look like? There's a couple things we need, I, I just want to hit on about things we need to start praying into, mindsets we need to start shifting. The first one, and I think this has been a key in those last three weeks, it's humility. We need to be humble. We need to say, I don't have the answer. We need to stop approaching people with love and saying, or with truth and saying, I can't love you until you embrace my truth. We need to start coming to people with love and be humble enough to go, I feel like I know the truth. I might not know the whole truth. And in some ways, it doesn't matter as long as I show love. Because if I have truth but not love, it's worthless. So we need to be humble enough to let God start challenging us, to let God start teaching and, and training us in how do we make this internal reality external in our areas. And that's, that's what's kind of motivating Charlie to go, I want to see more spontaneous moments of joy. It's so funny. I am a contrarian. So Charlie talks about the number one manifestation would be laughter. And I'm like, no, it wouldn't course not like it doesn't have to be laughter right that's what I do internally and then I was like but wait what's the number one internal reality of Charlie if he was trying to take that internal reality that internal feeling of the presence of God and make it external I do believe the number one manifestation would be joy because that's what is internally in Charlie that's what he's built in Charlie and so when Charlie goes I want more of you externally that would probably be what comes out doesn't have to be for you. That isn't necessarily your internal structure that God has been building. But what does it mean? So we have to be humble enough to go, it might be, and we have to be humble enough to go, what is it? Teach me. I don't necessarily know. And we have to be humble to go, Charlie's 
isn't necessarily mine. And I'm not going to judge Charlie's, and Charlie isn't going to judge mine. We bless. We don't judge. Uh, the second, the, so there's that humility. Uh, a couple other mindsets I, I want to I hit on. Um, the first one is creation is subject to corruption just like we were. People outside are subject to corruption just like we were. So we need to change our mentality to realize we're not at war with creation. We're not at war with matter. We're not at war with flesh and blood. We're at war in the spirit, and that's a whole nother teaching. But this creation is actually, God loves it. He loves the world. He loves everyone in it. He wants the world to be redeemed, and he wants everyone to be saved. So we need to understand, they aren't my enemy. They aren't my enemy. Sometimes, as Christians, we sometimes separate the we we separate people into the sheep and the goats and the goats are my enemy and we need to realize first of all it's not our job god didn't call us to separate the sheep from the goats he'll do that and he has a specific time that he's going to do that we don't need to do that we just need to love and realize that they might look like a goat heck i know i look like a goat to somebody right you look like a goat to somebody doesn't matter we are a family, including my unsaved brothers and sisters, right? We are a family. We are one creation of God. He wants everyone in his family. So the world outside our Christian, not Christianity, isn't our enemy. So if they aren't our enemy, what are they? And this is a really important mindset because I think this is one of the things that was key to how Jesus viewed the world. And I think if we, and I'm working on this, I'm not perfect at this, I'm working on this very much. If they aren't my enemies, what are they? And I think when we embrace what they are, that's the key that actually unlocks the love and the compassion that we're supposed to approach the world with. I think that's the, at the core of Jesus' love and compassion was this understanding. They aren't our enemies. They are victims. They are victims. And how do we feel about victims? Think about this. Think, treat, treat people like they were victims of a natural disaster. It wasn't their fault. It happened to them, and they have to try and figure it out. An unsaved person is a victim. They're born in a world of sin. It besets them the minute they come into this world. They need, the, they need to experience the love of God. They're victims. And Jesus had this understanding, and that's why he was moved with compassion. And he said, I need to free as many of these people as I can. I need to bring them into freedom. That's why he took captivity captive. That's why he has the keys and he gave them to us. And he said, go out and free as many people from this captivity, from this bondage. We're no longer slaves to sin, but everyone out there that has not accepted Jesus is. And we need to see them that way. They aren't my enemy. They're a victim. And I need to actually cry out for them. I need to say, Lord, send them, save them, help me. How do I do it? What do I do? 
That's why Jesus was moved with compassion. That's why everything he did, and that's why he got so angry at the Pharisees. Anybody that enforced the captivity, that's who he saved his, his frustration and his anger with. Anyone that, that actually promised freedom especially, and that's because that's what the Pharisees did. You will be righteous. You will have your freedom if you follow every single rule. And Jesus said, that's not the way it happens. That's not what my father's intention is. And that's why he saved his most, most anger for them. At Guy's group, um, so I'm, see, I'm, I'm giving people credit. This is good. At Guy's group, Robert said, said something that God had impressed on him, and it was actually perfect. It was absolutely perfect, and it was this question in every situation he's in that he's trying to ask. And the question is, what can I give? Every situation he's in, he's trying to ask God, what can I give this situation? What do I have to offer? And I think it's amazing. And I was like, that's such a, that's, that's so good. And I want to end with that question. What can I give? Every situation that I'm in, what can I give? We're called for that to be our fundamental question when we are everywhere we're going. Oh, well, but Miko, if I do that, I'll have nothing. That's not true. You are resourced by the Father. If you're in a relationship with Him, this is why I'm not saying ignore the in internal sanctification, ignore the internal relationship. I'm saying our internal relationship, our internal sanctification fuels this external sanctification. That's the reason He gives us rivers, rivers of never-ending life, flow. That's the reason. So that we can actually go into a situation and say, what can I give? How does it look to give life? How does it look to give love? I'm feeling compassion. How does that compassion move out of me? And so I just want to challenge you guys, especially in this season, um, Alyssa came across this uh, joke saying, I'm going to put myself under the Christmas tree to remind my family what a gift I am. <laughs> and I just said, that's, that's absolutely hilarious and good. And I personally, um, I just, I feel like the Lord is saying, I've put myself under the tree this season. I want you to rediscover what a gift I am. And it's not just a gift for us. It's not just a gift for us. I, have you guys ever gotten the gift that you're like, this is for me and it's for what I wanted, but the actual primary purpose will be to bless somebody else? And those sometimes, the older I get, the more those gifts are the actual, the best gifts. Like I'm pretty sure, she's not in the room, I'm pretty sure I'm getting a skillet for Christmas. Pretty sure. If I don't, it's fine. But I'm pretty sure I'm getting like a really nice skillet. Um, that's not for me. Like, I mean, it is. I'm going to love using it, but what am I doing when I'm using it? I'm making my family food, right? Like, they get blessed. Jesus is that kind of gift. Like, I get, huh? Who is? Uh-oh. Oh, well. 
that's the kind of gift Jesus is, right? He's the gift that we get blessed by it, by him, but we also bless others with it. So Father, I just pray right now uh, that you would just reveal yourself to be this awesome, amazing, wonderful gift, but not just for us. Father, I just pray that you would begin to start transforming and renewing our minds so that we would begin to view this world and we begin to view the people in it as something that's worthy of being saved, as victims who are under persecution and bondage and that you are empowering us to go and free them. And Father, I just pray right now that you would bless us. Father, I just pray that any stress, any uh, worry, any sadness, and just you'd come in and you'd fill it. And I just pray that this season would be a full season. It'd be a full season of you, that we would feel you, that we would sense you, that we would see you in ways that we haven't before. And I just pray, Father, I just say thank you so much as we are moving towards the 25th where we celebrate the ultimate gift that you have given us. I just thank you so much. And I just pray that you would make us worthy, that you would transform us, that we would submit to your process and you would transform us. Just like you sent Christ, Father, you would send us as gifts into this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Merry Christmas, guys. God bless.